Hi everyone, and welcome to the place where we discuss all things communication. This is Guide to Awesomeness, powered by Coldwell Banker, Ronan Realty. Hello everyone. Joining me today is a good friend of mine, Sarah Bentham. Sarah is the director at Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center, located at Georgian College. There, she is helping to foster and drive an ecosystem of growth within the community through support, events, and creating links to mentorship, funding, training, and networking. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jonah. You did a great job explaining it. I'm so fortunate that I get to be here on the Guide to Awesomeness, and I'm really looking forward to connecting with your guests. Perfect. That's awesome to hear. And I guess to get things started, just so that anybody that isn't aware of what's going on, what exactly is the Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center? I would call it an innovation and entrepreneurial hub that exists inside Georgian College. But the unique thing about us is that we're open to the community. And obviously, we're really excited about helping our students and our staff and our faculty start and grow businesses. But where I think we have a really unique place to play in terms of impact is on our community businesses. So we see about 375 clients a year, and I call them clients only because they come to us and express maybe a challenge they're facing in their business, or they express their goals and desires for the growth of their business, and we match them up with services, education, and mentorship that can help them sort of unravel what those challenges are and get to the next level. So our bottom line is to make sure that within this area, we're helping businesses growing our economy and creating really cool jobs for our students that go to Georgian College to graduate and go to. That's awesome. It's good to see, obviously, that there's these businesses in place that are willing to work with students and things like that, because that's obviously the hardest part. I can honestly say it was hard to find that job where I actually felt like I was putting something forward. I was creating a difference. I was doing something that I actually enjoyed doing. And it's nice to see that the businesses are willing to support that. We're so lucky that we had students like an alumni like you that went to Georgian College because... The businesses in this community all describe similar challenges around, you know, they're they're looking to attract and retain talent. And the great thing is, is that they often look towards us. And so on the academic side and within our center, our responsibility really is to foster innovation and entrepreneurship within the students that we have there so that they can go on and have great jobs like the one that you have and really impact the businesses that they're joining. So that is cool. And, you know, we're seeing a really great shift with our businesses where I think maybe before, like when I graduated a, a million years ago, they were a little reluctant to have a student join their team thinking that maybe it would be more work rather than what would they get, you know, what kind of work would they see. And the feedback that we're hearing from our employers is that students are joining the teams. They have really great ideas. They're brainstorming and coming up with really sustainable solutions to challenges that some business owners have. And I like the idea of hackathons and how we foster sort of a maker culture. And so students have been practicing solving challenges since high school and applying solutions to challenges in these safe, safe settings like at our entrepreneurship center. So I know that the employers are really seeing that come through in the skill sets that the students have. And and I feel really fortunate for that. Okay. And I guess in in sense of that, like what sort of challenges are you seeing that come up with these businesses that they're seeing that these students are coming forward and being able to create that change? Yeah. So, I mean, I have some great examples. One example, and I think you will feel this around the whole marketing and social media 
So some businesses haven't really leveraged the power of social media. And what they're looking to do is connect with the graduates that have been in the social media age for as long as probably they can remember. And they really know how to apply their creativity and, you know, the power of movement and song and ways to capture people's attention. And, you know, they've likely been doing that for themselves on their own channels. And now they can really apply that knowledge to other businesses. So we're, number one, we're seeing businesses really get noticed more online as soon as students and new grads are part of their organizations. And then the other area that's really interesting, and especially, you know, locally, I'm located in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and I'm sure you'll have a global audience. So just putting some perspective around that, we have a lot of manufacturing in this area. So it's really, really interesting to see our students that become part of these large manufacturing firms. And these are students graduating from our trades. And they're really applying entrepreneurial skill sets within their organizations. So We've seen some really cool inventions come through and product improvements within some of our firms. And that's something that our manufacturing employers are really impressed with. Nice. That's really good. And how would you define the concepts of what an entrepreneur is? And I guess in sense also what an intrapreneur looks like. I guess like when we start to explore this concept of entrepreneur, I think we often go to like a person that starts a business. But I think it's almost like a whole life mindset. So these are people that are constantly coming up with ideas. Potentially, they're, they're innovators and inventors. And we use the term intrapreneur as somebody that applies a lens of business growth and development within an organization, even though maybe they're not the founder or president or senior leader. They're able to look constructively at the operations within their company and say, you know what, I think we could make a little bit more money if we just do this. So I think employers, if this is a skill set we see on many resumes, and I tell students this all the time, like if, if you're looking to be different than any other applicant to a job, make sure you remind them that you're entrepreneurial and innovative because then they'll look at you as a potential uh, staff member that will help them make more money or help them, you know, overall increase our local economy, et cetera, create more jobs because they've created more products. So I feel like entrepreneur is more of a mindset than a label. I work at Georgian College, but I would say that I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> so that that's my concept. And I, I love that everyone has different ones. I appreciate that idea, the fact that it's not just about being a type of person. It, like you said, it's not a label. It's a it's a mindset. It's a process on how you how you relate to the things around you and how you how you work, how you innovate, how you create. And I, I can honestly say I know I used a lot of those terms in my resumes, you know, innovation, collaborative problem solving, all of those sort of things came into play when I put those through. And that's totally true of you. <laughs> Thank you. I guess going back on a previous note, you had mentioned about social media and the concepts that young people, especially students, are bringing forward to these businesses. How do you think that it sort of works in the effectiveness of the way a small business can run? I think there's so many beneficial outcomes of really being active on social media. And depending on your business, you're going to select the outlet that really best serves your target audience or consumer. So you've got like using them as a sales channel, which is very interesting. And there's been so many changes with Instagram and Facebook where you can actually shop right through. We support a number of businesses that don't, and I don't advocate for this always, but they don't have a website because they're selling so well just through Instagram on their channels through their own uh, consumer base. So you've got social media as a sales tool. 
And then you've also got social media as a talent attraction tool. So what I'm finding with new graduates is that they're looking to social media to see how cool the company is that they're going to go work for. And I find like if they don't have a strong presence on social media or it doesn't look like that company portrays the culture that, that they have or the value set that they embody as, a, as an organization, I find that students or recruits or new grads aren't going to look as closely at that company as a, as a place to land. So I know we're often advising companies that you know, really understand as a company what your values are. And, and that's something that many, many businesses go through. And, you know, it changes a little as they grow. But then also, you know, what is the culture of your company? But how are you going to show that to the world so that if I'm, say, I mean, now we're, we're working remotely in some cases, so it doesn't really matter where you're located. So can you look at a company from the outside in and say, you know what, that company, no matter where they are, really has the culture that I've been looking for. And like you say, that makes you feel good about the work that you're doing and, and really translates back to what your own personal values are. I think that needs to come through really strong in social media. Definitely. Again, with Coldwell Banker, I know that's a big thing is the fact that they, they express their values. They express the, the sort of messaging that they want to give. It's, you know, the guiding you home concept is sort of that big picture idea of, of what their whole, whole presence is about, right? It's, it's to show that they're not chasing it for the money. They're not doing it for anything like that. It's there to show who they are as a company, as, as a whole. Yeah, no, I think that's such a wise approach. And, you know, I can only hope that more businesses use this social media as a strategy for both outcomes. Definitely. And now I guess talking in the idea of, of marketing and using, using different social medias and things like that to market, how would you describe the difference between marketing to clients as compared to marketing to investors, supporters, things like that? Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, I feel so fortunate that I get to work with many, many companies about, you know, at our center, we work with about 350 a year. But we also get to work on the investor side. So I get to see kind of behind the scenes what kinds of companies that they're looking for. And I think you brought up a really great question because often people don't realize that there are two different approaches. So with our investors that we work with, what I see them asking questions about is projections and pipeline and growth and where they see themselves in the future and, you know, what the staffing strategy is and, you know, all of those little pieces. Personally, I wouldn't be using social media primarily as a tool to attract investors. There's so many other pieces that have to come into that. But I think if someone was interested in attracting investment into their company, I think the first thing that they should do is go to their local angel investment group and ask them and start to create a relationship. And what I love seeing companies do is approach an angel investment group early on and establish a relationship. So introduce themselves and this is who I am and this is where I'm going. And it can be as simple as that and as like small as that. And then three or five or six months later, here's where I've come. And so they're getting this sort of like milestone-based update and you're building their trust and that relationship with the investment group before you even see them for your real kind of one-shot pitch. So that is a real good strategy around attracting investment. And I think, you know, you can use your website in really creative ways to attract investment. So maybe you're using your website not just for sales and not just for showing, you know, the strength of your positioning in the marketplace, but you're also describing through your website what your growth is going to look like, because that's really at the end of the day, I think what they want to see. And then on the marketing side, you know, just in terms of sales, you've got so many different channels now. What I do want to say that I've seen sort of happening as a trend lately, which I've been really excited about, is 
businesses showing and business owners and especially founders and presidents and senior leaders showing the, their own personality through their social media around their business. So, I mean, I'm the biggest advocate of show who you are, be authentic. And, you know, I think that earns trust more than I have these pretty stock photos or I have this great tagline. I think people want to see the whole entire thing, the whole journey and and hear it from you and, you know, what you're passionate about. Those would be my two sort of suggestions. I don't know. What do you think about that? I know you have a big personality too. <laughs> I think that is key. I think it's it's making sure that you show who you are as an individual. If again, if it's a small business where you know you're the only one running it, I think that is key. I do see the see the benefits of showing who you are. Obviously, in a larger corporate level, it's a little bit harder to necessarily give that personal level of everything. But I think that's where it comes in into play into other aspects of how you're marketing, right? Your product reflects who you are, your service reflects who you are, whereas your your marketing may reflect a bit more towards that corporate level if need be. Yeah, I love that. And I know I'm thinking of if it's a real estate agent and they probably have some brand guidelines around the firm that they work for. And so how can your personality shine through while still matching the brand? How can your personality sort of tailor to the audience that you have? Say it's like a, you know, luxury business or a luxury client that you're looking for? How can you capture bits of your lifestyle that really showcases that, that you're, you know, similar or that you're, you're keen on that stuff as well? And that's where I think I see a lot more agents are utilizing social media to be able to reflect that, right? They'll show the lifestyle that they have through social media. They'll put their listings and things like that on there as well. But their their branding always stays the same, consistency with things like that. But then they'll use their social media to reflect kind of their their lifestyle and who they are as individuals. Yeah. I noticed too, like if I'm talking about trends that I've been observing and hearing and talking about, it's not as beautiful as it used to be in terms of matching palettes and yep. this ombre flow or something like that. Like it's a little bit more patchy. And I think that that's when you see some real authenticity come through exactly. when you're not just like, I'm going with pale pastel colors or whatever. Like, no, this is what it looked like today. So I, I really like that transition. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And then reels, like reels is such a hard thing. I you know, I've obviously given a, a little bit of trying with that. I have a teenager in my house and it, it's a tough thing. I think there's lots of really great resources and people to follow out there if you're interested in getting into Reels. But I do know the impact on your social media audience growth is like instantaneous. So mm-hmm. if for people that feel shy about approaching that or, or giving it a try, I definitely suggest, you know, finding some really great resources online and just playing around and letting it be a bit messy at the start. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And that's the biggest thing, right, is you you have to make the attempts, right? You have to try things. Sometimes it's not going to work for you, or it might not work necessarily for that part of the market that you have, but it, it might work in another sense. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I guess moving on just in in the sense of a little bit more about you, Sarah, as, as a mother, <laughs> a leader, an adventurer, a small business enthusiast, aware of many different hats, how do you maintain a work-life balance? Like, I don't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> no, I, I love this question because I think we're all striving towards a work-life balance. And I've listened to so many different podcasts and, you know, definitely trying hard to, to get there. But I also want to show up just like myself for real. It's tough. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you add a pandemic into the mix, if we're talking about that on here, I'm not sure. 
I think that there is like an incredible amount of pressure and I can speak from the lens of identifying as a woman that that this is a very challenging time uh, to manage work and life and disruptions and lack of control. So I like the idea of goal setting and, and doing it in like nice, sweet, tidy little increments. So if I'm being completely honest, I have set some goals for Thanksgiving <laughs> or around the middle of October for those that do not observe that day that I'll have started to crack the code on what work-life balance looks like and what that, what that means to me. So I'm, I'm hopeful that I can do it. But I would advise, you know, folks that are struggling with this challenge as well is to, an author that I really, really admire, Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe, describes this list you can make for yourself. And it's to do, to not do, and what definitely doesn't need to happen. So that you can start to really think, it feels like there's so many things to do right now. And if you can start to really put them into different categories, you can say like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Because it, when I do that, it takes away from this other important thing. So I'm working on that one. And, and also, if your audience has any tips and tricks that they share back with you, please share them with me. Of course, we'll we'll definitely keep everybody posted on sort of updates on what's going on. And I think it's it's important to realize that everyone is different and everybody has different tactics, right? I know personally that I don't necessarily have a balance between everything. It's sort of, I'm a live in the moment, yeah. sort of when it happens, happens kind of mentality. I, I'm a living by each day sort of process. When when something comes up at home, okay, now let's let's move on to that. Okay, something's coming up at work. Okay, let's move on to that. It's, it's no consistent pattern. I 100% agree with you. And I think, yeah, we both have that entrepreneurial popcorn mind where we're mm -hmm. like, get this, do this, like, you know, and it's, it helps us to accomplish, you know, different big things. But yeah, I like the idea of exploring how can we be more strategic about our days and our weeks and maybe I'll never do it. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think sometimes, again, like you said, we we strive towards goals like this where we want to have this full balance and maybe that's not necessarily what we need. Maybe not every individual needs that balance. Sometimes the hecticness of it all kind of helps push forward and create that opportunities for new ideas and innovation and change. I love that. Oh, the one thing I've learned recently, which I mean, I think people have been talking about this for a long time, is around the self-care and, you know, taking time for yourself or putting yourself first. So I have to admit, I've done a little bit of that lately, and I recommend any of your listeners. I recently took two days alone with nobody around, and that felt like, you know, a real great break, and, and my brain felt clear, and I could totally recharge. So I'm going to be doing a lot more of that in the future. That's good. Yeah, thank you. It's good to see that things work, and that's that's the biggest thing, is finding something that works for you. It's so good, I think. Yeah, People are all busy. And I love this idea that people are starting to like, and I hope this is okay to say this. My personal opinion is that the hustle culture has to calm down a little bit. And I, I felt like, it, you know, I was raised in hustle, hustle. And I, I like the idea of the fact that we can slow down a little and really focus. So mm -hmm. that's something I'm Definitely. working towards as well. <laughs> and that's where you find that opportunities for those innovation moments, those moments of aha sort of things, right? Absolutely. And I mean, we live... Like I mentioned, our location in, in Ontario, 
this is just the greatest place to live because there's so many opportunities to get outside and explore nature. And if you're a skier, you can do that. If you like the water, you can do that. So I always like to put a special little plug in there for our region as a place mm-hmm. to start your business. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good four season sort of area where we'll where we'll face it all and we'll face it all together. Yeah, you're so right. I like that. That's cool. The next concepts are relating to to things that you would say going back into that entrepreneur business concepts, the concepts of um, Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center. What would mm-hmm. you say are the top three things to know when it comes to starting your own business? I like this one. Thank you. It's easy for me to think of my number one thing that you should know or that you should do when starting your own business is to get yourself a really great mentor. And so at the Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center, we offer mentorship and That can look like a really great, somebody you know in the community that has accomplished what you hope to accomplish, or alternatively, someone in the community that you look towards as being a great business leader. And it can be informal in terms of approaching them as a mentor, or you can look to your local entrepreneurship centers. They likely have access to mentors. And it just gives you a place and someone to talk to about the ideas you have. And because they're not in it with you, and also because, you know, they're not your family member, they can share their feedback with you on what your business is and how you can how you can potentially grow it and keep you out of the weeds on it. So get a mentor. That's number one. Number two is do a ton of customer validation. So before you invest too much money or time or, or your passion, make sure that you have customers out there that actually want the thing that you're hoping to deliver. So you know, you went up to them and said, I've got this thing. I want you to buy it. Will you give me $100 right now? Make sure that they'll be able to do that and that you get a lot of validation and, and feedback from customers as you grow. And then the third thing I think that is the most important piece is to ensure that you're starting your business in the right location. So There's various government websites that you can go to, and there's lots of resources online, again, I mentioned, where you can do some real market research. So start to understand who your competitors are regionally and also who those complementary partners are that are located geographically. Because I think we often find, like, I'm going to start a business in the town I live in, but really make sure you take a real great scan because it might be that your business will be much more successful in a different town because it contains a certain number of ingredients that that really support your business growth. So just keep that in mind. I like that idea of the concepts of ingredients. Like you said, that's that's an interesting term to use because it is in the sense, right? It's not just about who you have to fight against necessarily, but it's also about who you need to work with, right? If you're giving a service for that's providing something that works with another company, you should maybe look at figuring out how do I how do I correlate with that company? How do I work with that person? And then that could potentially also include a mentor where you're then learning, okay, this is the business that's work, that I'm able to work with. How are they going to help me to make my business better, which in turn is going to make their business better? I agree 100% with that. We become very in love with our idea. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to take a pause and go, okay, I love this idea, but what are the things that I really need to know about this? Because you're entering into a long-term relationship with your idea. So it's almost like getting to know it really closely and asking those hard questions and then going ahead and being available to break up with your initial idea so and changing and pivoting it to suit the market fit. And I think as long as people go into these businesses with open hearts and open minds and really listen to what people are telling them in terms of the ones that are going to be putting the money down, then they'll start something that they can be really proud of. 
And that's, I think, the most important part too, is obviously being being able to grow, being able to change with it and see the opportunities for how much better it can be and and being able to really get to where you want it. Yeah, so cool. And I'm sure, as you've said, there's a lot of businesses that you work with and I'm sure you see a lot of growth, but obviously there's there's always change and things like that. Let's say in 300 different clients, how often would you say they're changing their business before they finally get it to where they need it? I feel like almost all of them. <laughs> Um, in some, you know, some are smaller incremental ways, but some are in really big ways. So yeah, I feel like people need to look at the word pivot and not equate it with the word failure. So that maybe that first idea that you talked about and you told everybody about it and they were like also excited for you. If you deviate away from that a little bit, that's not a failure. It's just like a, a pivot and you're just, you know, turning your car in a different direction and that that's something that should be celebrated amongst the business community. People talk a lot about business failure, and it's a little bit more of that scare tactic. And I'm not a huge fan of that. I think we need to celebrate folks that really go, okay, that little piece didn't work, or this is actually much more beneficial to my growth, and steer their car that way without any fear of judgment. So I like that idea. And then also really take advantage of incubators and co-working spaces and places to start your business. and Picture those places and spaces as a safe place to start and fail. And when I say fail in that sense, again, I'm looking at it like, you know, you're hearing more information from people, you're you're getting some customer feedback, you're getting like peer-to-peer mentorship and and all of that. But but imagine that those spaces are safe and that you can be your true self in those and and share your your visions for your business. So that's that's kind of where I think that the magic lies is in communities that foster that real great sense of innovation and entrepreneurship and safe spaces. Awesome. Before we keep keep moving on, I know you'd mentioned before we started recording that you may have some questions for me, and I just wanted to check to see if there's anything you wanted to ask at this point now. Yeah, we got a chance to work together quite a bit. So in your new role, I know you have a real big passion for social entrepreneurship, social innovation, and social enterprise. Do you feel that in the roles that that we're getting these days that there's space for that and and if so how do we integrate those passions into what we're doing uh, i definitely do see that i think i think it's important to realize that not every role is going to have that especially at yeah. a starting level sometimes you have to be in a position where you have have the opportunities to create communication windows and create those opportunities i know i'm going to be working with my team hopefully soon on the empathy concepts and understanding those processes to be able to use those right they're just those small little changes because again with real estate it's more or less in my role is helping the agents do better so what kind of things can i show them what kind of things can we provide what sort of changes and opportunities are there to for them to do better in their roles Mm. and then obviously looking at as a big picture with businesses but again with anybody that wants to get into that kind of role, it, it isn't necessarily a simple, you know, three-step process or a here you go, handshake and get it done. There's a lot of process involved. There's a lot of research involved. It's it's consistently asking the right questions to be able to create those opportunities for yourself. That's awesome. I love the way that you can integrate that into into your role. And, and I look to other students that are maybe in, you know, traditional businesses that then they want to keep that passion and that spark alive and integrate it. So those are good tips. Are you hearing a lot in the real estate business around burnout or any of those? These, You know that mental health and burnout are topics that are so near and dear to my heart. So I want to make sure that we're addressing those concepts. 
It's definitely a common thing. And I think it depends on sort of the way that people go about it. Because a lot of the time you'll find that agents are sort of working consistently around the same time. So they're always working, you know, from this month to this month, and this is when they're busy and then they're quiet and then they're busy and then they're quiet. And so they're going to get those burnout moments. But I think it's a lot of the time it's acknowledging the fact that they, Hey, you know what? I've hit burnout and I need to take a break for a minute. I need to relax. And that's where there's, especially with smaller boutique brokerages, it's easy to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Can you work with my clients for a little bit? I just need some time. Cause you know, I've, I've hit a wall and I, I need to take a break. But other times you may find that it's somebody like myself that's there to be able to say like, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? Do you need a hand with anything? Where can I help you make sure that things are working for you? Where can we make some changes to make things easier? That's awesome. It's like you're a cheerleader in the back corner and and helpful. That's really an Mm -hmm. awesome role. Burnout is something that I worry for so many entrepreneurs, and and I think to have a resource like you standing behind them would be invaluable. I think more organizations need to consider that. Definitely. That's cool. Thank you so much. Now, just to close things off, there'll be three questions that I'd like to ask you. What is something you do or use to ensure that you're always striving to work productively? Ooh, my digital calendar. There's almost nothing that I do that isn't instructed to me by my calendar. So like even scheduling time to order groceries or I don't know, go for walks. Everything is along my digital calendar. And I think that's, yeah, that's something that really keeps me in line. So for productivity, I think getting a good night's sleep is really important. So uh, I don't do it well and I don't do it often. But when I do, I'm always like very thrilled that I did. That is great for productivity. And then... Uh, you know, as a a team manager, making sure that I'm checking in with our team, not just professionally, but in a, you know, respectful, personal approach as well. So making sure that I'm really clear on where the team is at, both professionally and personally, it helps me to be able to take the leap on some bigger projects if I know everyone is able to support it. And then also being able to pull back on some projects and initiatives if I have a clear understanding of where our team is at. So those help me to be productive, I think. So check-ins, calendar, sleep. (laughs) Perfect. What is one habit that's transformed your life? Hmm. I think that the habit that, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't looking to do this. Actually, I would not ever do this, but here in Ontario with a lengthy lockdown, we started to, like we were stayed home and that was something I never did. I was literally out of the house like 70 hours a week. And I'm sure many of the realtors that listen to this can completely uh, associate with that. So a new habit that I have is being home many nights of the week. I'm trying to only schedule two nights for work that I'm out and any other ones, like I have to be really careful about how much more I extend myself. So a new habit is, you know, yeah, definitely checking in with our family and making sure that I'm not working every night of the week. (laughs) That's good. So that has transformed my life. I can't believe how much more time that I have with my family and kids and that it hasn't really impacted my ability for promotion or anything like that. So that's good. And again, it's not just about quality time. It is about quantity, right? If you're only setting that quality time aside, then you're not being able to really be there for the moments that you miss. Yeah, that you're unexpecting. Exactly. I agree. It's so true. Yeah, that has been one bright blessing of this whole entire thing. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And it's something that you've been able to process to figure out how to use that moving forward when things start to calm back down. Yeah, totally. And that, and I know I don't know how to make sourdough. <laughs> I tried. That was the thing in lockdown. I do not know how to make it. <laughs> you tried it. That's okay. You know what? I, I can honestly say I haven't even bothered to try doing anything like that, but I, I know I'm always cooking dinners and things like that. So I don't need to worry about trying to make breads and things like that. I can always buy <laughs> some. I pivoted from making bread to back to buying it. <laughs> that was my pivot. <laughs> it's a lot easier. It's less less likely for something to go wrong. Totally. I agree. Oh, fun. And I guess just our last question here. If you could write a chapter in the Guide to Awesomeness, what would the title be? That's such a good question. In the Guide to Awesomeness, I think that, that you should write the chapter, Practice Gratitude. And so what that means to me, and it's different for everyone, is that I regularly try to take points in the day where I observe and listen to myself about what I'm truly grateful for. And, you know, sometimes it's like I'm just truly grateful for that super strong cup of coffee when I drink coffee. And sometimes, you know, once you open up your mind to consider what you're actually grateful for, like, again, you know where to where to put your energy and you know where to put your time and... And I think it sort of clarifies some muddy bits in life. Yeah, so I think practice gratitude. And also don't feel shy to like tell people that you're grateful. I think that's a powerful connector. If you can call up that person that popped into your head that you know you feel grateful for and just let them know or send them an email. And there's lots of concepts. If people want to learn more about that, check out Blake Fly online. He's got lots of really great insights into, into gratitude and, and how it can actually transform your network. Gratitude is something that keeps me going and it and it's sort of acting as a north star right now. So That's awesome. And I I guess at this point that's a that's a great note to end on with the fact of practicing gratitude is that I'm I'm grateful that you were able to be here with with me today and and I'm I'm grateful for all the things that you have given me in the past when we work together and I'm I'm hoping that we get an opportunity to continue to work together in the future and I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be invited. It's, uh, it is truly exciting. And, you know, I've long been a huge fan of yours. So I know that there's going to be great things that come out of this. And, and definitely, I hope we get to stay connected. And I also wanted to point out one piece that I'm truly grateful for is the land that I sit on. And that is the land of the Anishinaabeg people. Uh, that includes the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations, and collectively known as the Three Fires Confederacy. So I'm, I'm grateful for the land that I, that I sit on as a settler. So I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned that as well. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, being here. Thanks. <laughs> See you soon. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the awesome people and awesome things we talk about. This is Jonah reminding you to be awesome today and be even more tomorrow.